Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Decrypt. In today's episode, we're here to talk about artificial intelligence, and we are here specifically to try and explore the recent hype around innovation like ChatGPT, innovation like Dali, Bard, and all of the chatter that we've been hearing in the media, that we've been hearing across boardrooms, and really to try and help guide people in understanding the implications of artificial intelligence today and in the future. And joining me today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Michelle Wiener in our New York office. Michelle is a partner in Control Risk's technology practice, and she oversees our teams across the Americas, supporting clients from huge law firms all the way down to sort of technology-driven firms that are looking today at implementing artificial intelligence. And Michelle, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. And you know, you have been contending over the past few months and probably even longer than this with hundreds of clients coming to talk to you about AI, coming to talk to you about emerging technologies broadly. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what you've seen a conversation be with our clients today and what you've seen some of the challenges in that conversation to be? Yeah. So I think one of the things, if I get a reach out from a client where they say, I want to talk to you about artificial intelligence. My first response is always like, can you tell me what you mean by artificial intelligence? And I think there is kind of in the marketplace for an everyday tech user right through to a corporate tech user, there's what I will call AI confusion. I think the threshold question that we need to kind of as a group define in a business context is what do you mean when you're talking about artificial intelligence? Because the spectrum of what our clients actually think artificial intelligence is, is not in any way aligned with what a true definition of artificial intelligence would be. And so I think when we think about our current state of artificial intelligence, there is a wide range of what our right. clients think it is and what it means to their business. And I think there's an evolution that I've seen that's really interesting in the corporate context. And that is, this has gone to the board level. Mm -hmm. So the evolution of chat GPT, the evolution of Dolly have drawn boards attentions. And now all of a sudden the boards are coming to their C-suite and their executives and saying, what, what are we going to do about AI? Like, mm -hmm. Have we thought about how this is going to impact our business? I want you to tell me and come and report to me about the impact of AI without having actually defined what they mean, yeah. what it means to their business. And so I think there are, I've always said, you have to crawl before you walk. You have got to walk before you run. Yeah. And I feel like we've taken off at a sprint with right. AI without actually taking the time to figure out what it really means within a business. Context. Right. I think that's, that's really interesting, Michelle, because, because certainly, I mean, in cyber, we, we get this a lot. We have, you know, I, I, I remember when, when cloud started becoming a, a major consideration for a lot of organizations, everybody wanted to go very, very quickly. And obviously, post-pandemic, we know tech innovation and digital investments in all of our client organizations have just gone so much faster than they used to. But AI itself is such a challenging concept to boil down to commercial applicability and use cases. You know, I... 
we've had machine learning discussions, AI discussion for a number of years, but it really feels with ChatGPT sort of hitting the news as hard as it did that we've turned a page. People are going at it without necessarily understanding A, what it is, and B, what the risks of going into that implementation so quickly. So how have you seen clients react when you sort of challenge them and say, what do you mean about AI? Do they come to you with a clearer definition of what they think it is or? No. And what they then I think are defining as AI, it's not actually AI. And so that is when you're thinking about analytics, Mm. how do you use analytics to drive and draw insights from your business? From in my world, that's the number one thing that they're really looking for. Help me use my data better so that we can inform business decision-making. And yes, you can use AI to do some of that, but there are other tools that wouldn't fall within a definition of AI that can also be employed for that. And so it's, um, I do think it's been accelerated um, in terms of the ask about AI. What are we doing from an AI perspective without clear messaging? And if you think about just all the words that are out there, thick data, big data, um, are we talking about zombie robots? Right. <laughs> People are worried and paranoid about their jobs. Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It literally is like, well, one day it's, am, am I not going to be anymore? Am I not going to be needed in my job? And yeah. I think we are actually quite far from right. that in terms of AI being effectively employed in a way where humans will no longer be required. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to get there eventually. I yeah. honestly do, but I don't think we are close. And I actually, I'm going to challenge you. Right. So I have a white paper Uh that you wrote two years ago, almost to the date. Oh God. Yes. And in that white paper, and if you'll indulge me, I'm going to actually read what you said. Please. I want to know if you think that this has changed. So we're two years out. AI is a broad, all-encompassing term to describe several different ways of leveraging modern computing for automation learning and adapting software. The commercial space and its use cases are in their infancy and vendors across the spectrum of applications can vastly overpromise on their capabilities. Two years out, is it still true? So I think the vendor space is, is definitely still rings very true. And, and I think in both of our fields, when we look at technology providers that are making noise in the marketplace, um, we can we can break it down into two categories. You you have the major technology players, and I think Microsoft's investment in OpenAI or Google's development of BARD are really good indicators that there is genuine commercialization possibilities that are coming soon because these companies don't do these things out of the goodwill of the research that they'll generate. These companies don't necessarily only want to do this to progress humanity or to progress the technology. They do this because there's a clear commercial return. But the other side of that coin is the hundreds of startup of smaller tech companies that brandish AI everywhere. Every technology discussions that we have these days People don't make the distinction. Is it narrow? Is it broad AI? Is it machine learning? Are we looking at deep neural network thinking? And I think that creates that hype that gets so 
damaging for corporates who are looking to implement this technology because they don't necessarily have the transparency from their vendors that is required to actually say, okay, well, what are the limitations of it? I think in the first part of AI is really a sort of development in the two years ago, I think the perspective of broad AI was much further away than it is today. And it's, we're still far from it. We're still very much in this narrow AI space. And by narrow AI, what we mean is really sort of trained machine learning that has some exploratory capabilities, but not the AI of the future, the Skynets, the truly self-learning and completely autonomous artificial intelligence, which I think, again, take the, the two words that, that, that the term is composed of. Really, artificial intelligence is about mimicking human intelligence artificially. We're still very far from this, but I certainly think the hype is getting worse and worse because we're seeing these small and small. Chat GPT is a tremendous development, let's be clear, but the use case remains pretty narrow today compared to what it will be in the future. And I think the risk that we certainly see for a lot of corporates is rushing into the implementation of this without thinking about the risks of today's implementation, but certainly with potentially over-indexing on the opportunity that the technology brings today. That being said, I do think this is the time, if I had one thing to say to any corporates, this is the time to have this discussion internally because it is accelerating and it is clear that the time to implementation, the time to production of commercial solutions for artificial intelligence is getting shorter and shorter. The real question businesses need to ask themselves is what do they want to do with it? What's your objective? What What is your reason for employing it? Right. And I think it's a strategy decision. It should be at the board level. This mm-hmm. is a board level discussion. But I think I agree with you completely. I think businesses really need to take on this notion of thinking through if I were to employ artificial intelligence, how would it be impactful on my business? What am I trying to achieve? You can try to achieve risk management. You can try to achieve efficiency in business operations, potentially. You have to think about if I'm going to do this, why am I doing it strategically? And I think that it is Defining those really high-level questions, they're hard to answer because you don't want to get behind the curve. It is, I think, a business imperative for you to have an AI strategy, but you need subject matter experts. You need the right people at the table to help inform and guide those decisions. And the other thing that I, I I get concerned about when it comes to even just digital transformation, Mm -hmm. I think the companies widely underestimate the commitment it's going to take yeah. to actually implement AI in a way that you're going to see return on it. the investment in two things in particular, and maybe you'll have more, but the investment in change management yeah. for your people and the investment in talent, if you're going to actually try to take it on yourself, which has to be one of those strategic questions. Am I going to build this an, an internal capability? Am I going to buy it? Am I going to do some hybrid between build and buy? But you need to have the right talent at the table and identifying who that right talent is either within your organization or external to your organization 
to help you set strategy is kind of that, that walking phase. And I think people have rushed to, well, we need to, we need to yeah. be employing AI. And the truth is, is that in some ways, some of my clients are using machine learning and they're not calling it AI. Yeah. They just have that ability. But the threshold question, and I'd be interested because maybe your clients are way more sophisticated in this space than a lot of mine and my buyers. But you have to really be honest about where you are just from a data maturity perspective. Like, yeah. Are you just draw, are you able to collect your data? Are you able to actually draw insights from it? Because if you can't do that, let's start there. There's probably lots of data that you could collect to get information and insight that will help you then even design your AI strategy. But you have to be able to collect and use data before you're going to set up an autonomous model to mine for insights for it. Or you're going to end up with a whole bunch of garbage that yeah. may not actually mitigate your risk, mm -hmm. drive operational efficiencies that you're hoping to drive. And so I think there's some amazing use cases out there that we've seen with clients where they are using models that they're training from an analytics perspective um, to draw insights. And those insights are really good, but the investment in just getting your data yeah. to be working so that the model can give you good information takes time. If you have any questions about any topics regarding cybersecurity or technology issues, please feel free to email us and our experts will get back to you at cyberatcontrolrisks.com. You're absolutely right that the question of data maturity is, is one that is going to continue creeping up because, and I think data maturity even separated from tech maturity, it's, it's the very foundation of the ability of any organization to a, understand the data it has access to, understand the data that it could access, and then ultimately what one needs to do with that data. And I think, you know, talking about the skills gap and in cyber, we, we've, we have a deep skills gap issue in cybersecurity itself, but we're starting to notice that data science as a critical component of any AI strategy is lacking in many organizations. And part of this is because the skill set is relatively new or is moving very quickly, probably quicker than one can train or one can educate um, employees on. But the other component is we've underinvested for a long time in these areas. And I think to your point around the level of commitment that organizations need to make to this. And I'm reminded again of 10 years ago when, when we went into our client organization to talk about cybersecurity. We were put in front of an IT security team that was doing great work, but that were severely underfunded because boards were looking at this issue as a cost issue and they were looking at it as, you know, we'll figure something out if there is a problem that happens or it's really not going to be that bad. I think where we see the most mature organizations in this AI implementation space are the ones who have built a data science capability, a data analytics capability that is currently operating and has been in operation for a little while. And that can really answer the question that you posed, which is 
What data do we have? What do we want to do with it? And then AI really becomes a tool in their toolkit to achieve these objectives. But let me ask you this, Michelle. I mean, you're you're a lawyer by trade. It's something that in the legal profession, there's been huge discussions over will AI replace some lawyers and certainly how would law firm deal with AI as part of their day-to-day, both internally and on cases? Have you seen some of the compliance and regulatory developments around artificial intelligence move in a direction that you weren't anticipating? Or do you think regulators are are, are behind the curve on on dealing with it? Or are they actually pretty proactive so far? I think that so we saw, I'm going to use Department of Justice yeah. guidance for corporate compliance programs as my baseline. So we saw a huge increase in focus on compliance officers dealing with data and having data be part of your compliance program. Mm-hmm. So this is years, years in evolving. Um, risk-based approach, data-driven. Those are the two kind of uh, catchwords that you often hear discussed when it comes to compliance programs. I think at the time that that guidance change happened, really, from my vantage point, financial services, large banking were the only ones really prepared to have a data-driven compliance program. There were a couple of outlier companies that were very data mature. But a lot of clients at that time came to us and they said, we know we need to be better at understanding what data is important to our compliance risk, legal and ethics risk, anti-corruption risk. We're just not sure even if we could identify the right data sources, like what should we be doing with it to actually inform our program? And so a lot of companies, interestingly, we saw these postings for data science in compliance teams. And it's like a one, we're going to hire one person. I talked to a lot of clients, like we're going to (laughs) hire one person. We're going to bring them on. They're going to help us understand our data so that we can use our data and we have an argument that we're using our data and we have a data-driven compliance program. I don't think that was the intent of the government. Right. Um, I think that has not gone well for a lot of companies and people have not lasted in those jobs. And this is the, underest- the underestimation of the investment yeah. that you need. But more recently, I've seen clients really taking this on and they're using the same skill set that they're using for their own digital transformation to help yeah. them get data organized. And we just did a a project that was looking at a risk assessment for compliance and ethics risk Mm -hmm. as part of their program. So you get the dual benefit, you're helping with your risk assessment activities, which are part of your program, but it's also data driven as well. And to do that, they needed external help and they needed their internal IT team just to help them get all of the data that they actually wanted to understand to inform their program into a usable form. Right. And so that, is time, it's investment, it's dollars. I think we have advanced the ball very significantly yeah. there. I still don't think that board reporting no. is where it needs to be. Like board reporting is still at a level where it's very transactional. Yeah, They're not thinking about the insights that you could be driving from your data. And one of the other things that I think is a challenge that I haven't seen overcome well by a lot of companies yet is the difference between are you only looking at your structured data right are you looking at your unstructured data they're looking at them completely separately Mm. and they're analyzing them separately 
And I think that that is an evolution we're going to see. I think there is a need to bring those two work streams together so that you get a holistic picture across your unstructured data and your structured data as well. I feel like structured data has advanced more quickly yeah. than unstructured data. I don't know if you've seen that same kind of evolution in your clients. I, I, I think so. And a good, I think the reason behind this is because structured data has always been or, or probably has had much more focus over the years. I mean, if you think about sort of security applications of structured data analytics or a lot of structured data is generated by computers directly. There's much less human intervention in a lot of this. And so it, it's just easier to deal with. But I think to your point, a lot of organizations are still splitting a lot of this process. And and when we when we talk to boards, when we talk to executives, there is often the assumption that, you know, oh, we're looking at all of our data. Or we even have visibility of all of our data. I mean, this is an age-old problem in cyber where AI may have a very, very good initial application in, in my space is asset discovery, is actually identifying what sits on the network, is is autonomously determining where data is, the nature of the data. And I mean, we're we're speaking here um in, on the fringes of a, of a huge e-discovery conference in New York where a lot of the conversation has been around, you know, can we rapidly identify what's contained within data sets, within documents, and can we rapidly sort of extricate metadata in order to be able to run analysis on it? I think that use case, that first application of let me use artificial intelligence in the narrowest of senses to determine what data I have access to and what I could do with that data is going to be very beneficial. My concern, I think exactly to the point that you're highlighting is there is currently a disconnect between where the field is and where boards think it is. And there is a real risk. And we're going to do a lot of episodes on AI. I've, I've got a good sense of it. We're going to talk about the security risk. We're going to talk about the ethical, the political risks in future episodes. But right now, one of the risks that I see as very concerning is because of the disconnect between boards and the technology or the technical teams and organizations that are looking at artificial intelligence, there is the hype curve that's going to crash at some point and people will be disillusioned and disappointed. And where we've seen this has been, again, data analytics. We've seen it. We've seen it in cloud transformation. And the organizations that went through that disillusion ended up being left behind and are now playing catch up at a significant opportunity cost, but even operational cost, because they have to go very quickly in transforming things. Are you sensing that risk in some of your client conversation? Are you sensing that some of them are already getting disappointed? No, I haven't seen that. I think mm-hmm. we're ahead. We're yeah, still early days. We're going up. Yeah, I think we're still going up. But I do think that there is... If you get this right, mm-hmm. if you actually define a strategy and your use case is super interesting to me of using AI to just figure out what data you have, because mm-hmm. it is number one challenge. Yeah. Even if you're just doing data analytics, mm-hmm. you, like you want to do data analytics and making sure that you have the data. We deal with disparate, oh, we have disparate systems. Yeah. Never integrated them. Yeah. Um, and you no, know, the 
one of my favorites is we have a lot of white space in our data, that (laughs) phrase. I'm Uh, like, I'm not, that means you don't know what data you have, right? Okay. You you don't understand what data you have available for you to actually apply Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence to draw insights from it. So I think if you think about that, if you think about using AI in that context, this is the critical crawl. We're going to crawl. We're going to crawl before we walk. Yeah. And I think if more clients would take it on in slow steps, getting it right, what you can yield in terms of information that is actually very powerful to business decision-making when it's done correctly with the right investment, with the right data sources, it's really an amazing thing when you get it right. Um, So that naturally stops the disillusionment because you only need to get it right. And we always encourage our clients, if you're going to do something like this, don't try to do it all at once. Let's not right. let's not boil the ocean. Let's pick a single type of data. Yeah. Let's do a pilot. Let's even ring fence the amount of data mm-hmm. that we're going to try to have the model working on. Um super smart way. And yeah. it also prevents that burnout because once they see it work, one jurisdiction, one data set, one set of powerful insights that shows them things that mm-hmm. They had no idea we're percolating as from a risk perspective in their business. It's really, really powerful for the business. But the other thing too, that I think is really important for companies to recognize is once you collect all the data, you have to set a baseline norm. Yeah. I can't look for anomalies for you that are creating risk. If I don't know what your baseline norm is. Yeah. I think that point is is exactly where we have the definitional problem when we talk about artificial intelligence. Because if we did have broad AI that was unsupervised and that could absolutely identify anomalies in data without any instructions from humans, that we will eventually get there. But currently, you need to train the model. Whether we're looking at large language models or we're looking at any other type of current application of of, of artificial intelligence and machine learning, supervised machine learning and narrow AI continue to require that level of human intervention. And I think if organizations are moving forward thinking, okay, well, we're going to be able, and there was a, a, a news report yesterday, I think, where some organizations have decided to reduce FTEs uh, because of chat GPT. You know, even us internally, we are looking at how can control risks use chat GPT and and we have some really interesting people in the firm who are currently investigating it. But I think consistently we're coming back to it is in such a state of infancy that over promising to the organization, to any business, because of what may become The future of the opportunity is so dangerous. And at the same time, the tension remains. The opportunity is there. It's just, when is it going to be ready? Are we actually confident that we can do what the technology may allow us to do outside of the technology requirement? Do we have, and that goes back to your point around change management. Do we have the culture as an organization to become, you know, we've been speaking about digitally driven organizations, digital culture, digital nativism, It's likely we're going to eventually be in a world where we have AI nativism or AI cultures in organizations. Not every organization will be able to have or to transform as quickly as the field is evolving. 
Michelle, I'm also conscious having you here gives me a tremendous opportunity. Uh, I want to ask (laughs) you, I want to ask you about the compliance risks that you see coming in this space, because I think a lot of organizations are very also concerned, not just on the security side, the, the potential gaps in what the technology can deliver, but this is going to change compliance forever. And I guess <laughs> I must apparently be really hooked up, like focused on definitions. Right. right? Let's define so compliance. You're a lawyer. Right. right? I guess so. <laughs> um, but when you talk about compliance, right. like, is it going to change compliance forever? It depends on where the regulators go, yeah. right? Because it, compliance really just implies that you're complying with some law, a regulation. I think the regulators are really looking at data and using data in a way that is going to be helpful mm-hmm. to for companies to stay compliant with the law. With that being said, the interesting point from a compliance perspective, I would broaden that. I, yeah. would, I would say that there are ethical implications right. about AI, mm-hmm. that compliance and legal teams, they're going to come to them and ask them. I feel it's like the ESG evolution. Before we had ESG officers within companies or ESG executives, legal, this is now yours. You get yeah. ESG too. Because it's got governance in it. It kind of feels the same way. Yeah, there's that environmental piece. If you didn't already have like an environmental team within your organization because you it wasn't part of what you needed from a business perspective, legal ended up with that responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think when you talk about AI, there's going to be so many ethical questions that yeah. also need to be dealt with that I think that's going to end up in legal's lap as well with mm-hmm. these companies. I think legal is going to be a critical stakeholder. And if you're going to have policies, you're going to have to have policies internally about data usage. We've got privacy concerns already on the table. Compliance might be changed forever, but not by the implementation of AI. It's an extension of what they're already doing. You're going to develop policy. Then you're going to have to make sure that your employees are complying with the policy Mm -hmm. that's developed as well. That's compliance at its base level. Mm -hmm. But the ethical question. I think are really, really interesting when you're talking about AI. So there's privacy, but there's also this notion of if we're going to run a model, how are we sure? And if it's a model where humans are training the model, Mm -hmm. we are flawed. Yes. Bias. How do you eliminate bias from your model? (laughs) Colleges are already trying to get ahead of figuring out how can we tell when a student used chat GPT in an assignment, right? It's raising a, now we need a model to figure out whether our students were using chat GPT. So you're talking about using AI to mine. To counter AI. Yeah. Counter AI. Like it becomes (laughs) like a sense of ridiculousness, but the universities are looking at it from an ethical position, right? like from a, student plagiarism Mm -hmm. perspective. And that is, I think there's all types of ethical concerns that companies are going to need to, maybe it becomes an industry question as well, but I'm not sure if you're seeing that in the, in the ethics space, have your clients thought about or been having conversations about 
what are the ethics and legal requirements we're going to have if we do take on it as part of a broader AI strategy? Yeah, I think, you know, the point you're raising about education is is a, is probably one of the first. I mean, we've seen it as well in, in the artistic copyright space where generative AI, so AI that can create content in essence, whether visual, textual, um, or audio content, uh, is starting to raise significant questions about you know, the output of the algorithm or of the model um, has an input somewhere and that's an artist's copyrighted work uh, that's used to generate new work. But I think that throws to us a very deep societal reconsideration of a lot of what we have taken for granted. And and it's, it's, deeper than the advent of the internet. One could probably equate it to the invention of the printing press at this point, where a lot of the codes that we as societies have been developing and have been leveraging to sort of define what is proprietary, to define what is work even, um, are going to change. I think the the ethical concerns that we've seen in our space a lot, and this was back in 2015, 2016, when the first deep fakes started cropping up across the internet, when large-scale disinformation campaigns that were state-sponsored in a number of different jurisdictions around the world started creeping up, we we started discussing this, this consideration of, okay, how do we deal with, and without getting overly philosophical, the sort of postmodernist view of there is no more truth, there is no more human agency, and everything's sort of fake. And we've seen how far that's taken us as, as, as societies in a number of occasions. But the deep ethical concern over how do we surveil, how do we monitor, how do we ensure that security is balanced with individual liberties and privacy, this has been a huge development in cyber. And we saw the tension between cybersecurity and data privacy at times when it comes to monitoring employee devices, monitoring assets, and the various cultural paradigms that exist between, you know, Europe, the US, China, and different really societal uh, schemas that make the application very different. And I think when we look at, at the future of artificial intelligence, I really like the parallel that you've made with ESG. And I think I, I completely agree with we're going to start seeing these sort of questions being thrown on legal departments and organizations. And I think that's a real challenge because much like ESG, these require a very specialized knowledge and skill set. And lawyers are obviously fantastic and can support the discussion. And it's not just because you're a lawyer. <laughs> lawyers are fantastic. Um but there's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. I mean, look at the the recent discussions around the world on using facial recognition for security purposes. Uh, I'm I'm French. We have a deep, deep reluctance towards state organized security apparatus, and and as as protests in the country tend to show these days. That culturally is a real challenge in other jurisdictions where it may be much more normal culturally, we'll see that ethical conversation take a different spin. When you think about 
those that have taken on developing an AI strategy that mm-hmm. includes a governance framework. I think we can't underestimate the number of stakeholders yeah. you need at the table because I think it would be an incredibly steep curve yeah. for this to become a legal issue. I think l- lawyers and legal departments are going to be a seat at the table. But when you look across the implications here, lawyers, and I will include myself in this bucket, will be woefully unprepared for the level of data sophistication that is required to really own. It's not a one-person job. I say that very often. And within companies, breaking down silos to allow you to actually have an effective AI strategy means that you need more than just tech professionals at the table. You need more than just legal professionals at the table. And so that multidisciplinary approach, thinking through ethics, thinking through security, it it is the perfect scenario or the perfect example of where you need to have a committee dedicated to the strategy. And I know companies don't want to hear like, oh, we need another one more working committee, group. One yeah, more working group that this one's know, important. <laughs> this one really is important. And it is because of the disruptive nature that right. it's potentially going to have on your business mm-hmm. as well. And with anything that's going to have disruptive potential, making sure that you're using crystal ball to figure out what what could be the corners that you need to see around at the very early stages, which I think we are still in, you still have the luxury of time to get this right. Um, It's really important to bring all those people together. So we could talk about this for hours and hours on end, uh, but our listeners have other things to do and we also have other things to do. So let me, let me summarize. And then I'm going to ask you one big question. What we've discussed here, I think the key takeaway for, for our clients and any organization out there is do build that multidisciplinary approach. Don't get overexcited yet. Really go back to fundamentals, data strategy, understand what you're trying to drive out of it. It's okay to be a bit exploratory, to be a bit, it's great to have that sort of blue sky thinking, but if you don't have the foundation, that's probably going to lead you to deep disillusion and potentially falling behind the implementation curve and consider the long-term risks that this will generate. Now, let me ask you this. If you had a crystal ball. I get asked this all the time. Right. Yeah. (laughs) If you had a crystal ball, when, and, and what do the next, 10 years of the technology field and organization looks like? I think 10 years. So I've learned one lesson. Right. You don't plan the technology field on 10-year horizons. Yeah. It's impossible. I feel like 18-month horizon might be too <laughs> long sometimes. Um, so I think we've seen play out real time in our conversation today, the risk when mm-hmm. it comes to this. You can get really high-level and philosophical about AI really quickly. Right. You absolutely can. If you focus on a use case, an outcome that you want 
I think it's well served for companies. So doing that, I think we can advance actually very quickly yeah. in an 18 to two year time frame to not only having strategy. Like the worst thing you can do is employ, buy tech, invest, employ AI, and then realize that actually it doesn't fit into the strategy that we right. had. This is one. Normally, I'm, I would encourage my clients to, it's okay if you get it wrong, you can kind of, you can rewind the clock. On this one, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way. Right. It's very counterintuitive to what my normal approach would be to being entrepreneurial. Yeah. But I do think if you pilot, you focus, you think about a single outcome, I do think that in you could draw insights from your business right. and from your data, leveraging AI for real risk management and for real operational efficiencies without completely changing the model of your business right now. I would say 18 months, two years. I looked at your two years. Yeah. In two years, I still think we're in, we're in an infancy state. Okay. I think we will still be in an infancy state two years, but be better at actual real drawing some real insights from analytics in across industries more widely. That's I, my prediction, but I could be radically wrong because if I've learned one other thing is that this is unpredictable. <laughs> Maybe we should put that question to chat GPT, but yeah. uh, Michelle, I want to say a huge thank you for you to be on Decrypt. It's, it's a real pleasure to talk about this with you and we're going to continue this conversation. There will be a series of, of publications that we're going to make as, as a firm. We're going to bring experts from our geopolitical risk analysis group. We're going to bring experts from our security group to really sort of continue progressing this discussion. But I think you've brilliantly framed what is the very critical first step in looking at AI from an opportunity or a risk perspective, which is slow down your time frame, start small, learn the lessons now, and then you can go big and fast. Strategy. Strategy. You need a strategy. That's awesome. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. It was great to have you. And with that, we'll wrap up the episode. We have a whole host of episodes coming soon to Decrypt, covering the most crucial topics, breaking news, and strategic horizon scanning within the world of cyber that you need to be aware of. With analysis and discussion from our experts located around the world, subscribe to Control Risks Decrypt as we help you make sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting your business. For more information on how we can help you build a resilient, compliant, and secure organization realizing the benefits of technology, visit us at www.controlrisk.com. And remember, our experts are only ever one email away. Email us at cyber at controlrisks.com.